0: Well, good morning. Uh, Thank you, Jason, for those songs. They were very fitting for the nature of the lesson. Um, We're going to be talking about Jesus' devotion to prayer this morning. And I'll kind of give you a little bit of background on why um, we're going to be taking the approach with learning from Jesus' devotion to prayer. We're not actually going to be um, studying Luke 11. Um, I was struggling with, like, what passage to use of the scripture reading. Luke 11 is not one of the scriptures we're going to be doing in the sermon but I think in Luke 11, what we see is not only the disciples because of their time with Jesus, as he was praying, due to their time with him and learning from him and studying him, they ask him to teach them to pray. So I think when we're exposed to Jesus, when we see the nature of his prayer life and how committed he was to prayer, that it becomes very convicting, very encouraging. And Jesus' encouragement to pray was often just... Pray more. <laughs> so in, in Luke eleven, you know what, what Jesus gives in at least Luke's account of that model prayer is really short, and he spends actually more time just encouraging us to have a healthier sense of belief that God cares about our prayers and really is responsive um, to our prayers. And I've been thinking a lot about my prayer life um, as I've been reading Scripture lately. I've been thinking a lot about my prayer life for some time, just in general. Um, I'm not someone who makes like hard and fast New Year's resolutions necessarily, but I do tend to reflect on things that I would like to improve on in the new year. And for me, generally, communication has been a big thing I've been wanting to, um, just improve on in a godly sense. And as I've thought about that, I've thought more than anything, I need to improve my communication with God. And a lot of that comes from reading the Bible. There's an entire book of the Bible dedicated exclusively to prayer, the Psalms, uh, there are prayers interwoven through the entirety of Scripture. There's just, from beginning to end, you see prayer saturating God's plan. Prayer saturates Jesus' ministry. There's just no amount of time we can give in, in one lesson, unless it were to be like hours and hours. Um, with everything Jesus taught about prayer, everything that Jesus did related to prayer, um, we're not going to be able to give a justice to some of the Scriptures we're going to look at that teach us how Jesus prayed, um, because there's just there's so much to learn. Uh, In the letters to the churches, not only are there multiple commands to pray, to pray without ceasing, to be devoted to prayer, we get commands to pray intercessory prayers, thanksgiving prayers, supplication prayers, confession prayers. Paul gives examples of his prayers in nearly every single letter that he writes to a church and will often interweave prayers throughout his letters, even as he's writing. So prayer is critical, but Again, if you're like me, when I think about my own prayer life, um, there's a great amount that's wanting. I think in my relationship with God, if I were to think about um, something that is most weak and deficient that really needs to be improved on, um, it's my prayer life. And so I hope that this approach will inspire you and encourage you and maybe even convict you um, to just give more attention to the value of prayer. Uh, So again, just with some introductory thoughts with the lesson, I want you to think, how important is communication in relationships? What happens in a relationship if there's a lack of communication or a neglect in communication? Or think about this, if there's a lack of communication when there's problems in the relationship that need to be addressed or needs in the relationship that need to get talked about. What if there's a regression in communication or there's misunderstandings that are not being resolved that are impacting the quality of the relationship. Close relationships always challenge our ability to communicate and our willingness to communicate and our need to communicate. And especially when you're dealing with someone very different from you, um, when you're in a new environment or developing new relationships, for me it's, it's never easy learning how to be a friend to a new person, right? It doesn't matter who it is, it just always seems very challenging especially when you s- seem to have, like, nothing in ear- any earthly sense in common with a person, and you've got to figure out, like, how do I engage in some kind of ongoing way, not just in, you know, short niceties, but actually have, like, engaging conversation. It's, it's really challenging, right? Um, and especially when you think about God. God is holy. God is pure. God's interests are oftentimes very different from ours and contradict ours. Um, and so oftentimes when you're dealing with, Someone you need to communicate with, you need to study that person first. You need to really think about what are they interested in? What's their background? Who are they? And I think it's the same with God. And nobody knew God better than Jesus. So surprisingly when when I've thought about Jesus through my life, I would oftentimes think, "Well, why would Jesus need to pray?" I mean, he's the son of God, right? He has miraculous knowledge. Like he's thoroughly equipped. He knows people's hearts. Like what would he need through prayer? And 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 as we get into the lesson, we're going to see those ideas challenged. that Jesus, even if we don't understand it, surprisingly, Jesus saw a need to pray that me in my even sinful condition and needing forgiveness, needing growth, needing to open my eyes, Jesus somehow saw a greater need to pray for himself than I've ever seen for myself. So I think we get it backwards sometimes thinking, why would Jesus need to pray when that's obviously not the way Jesus saw, saw that's not the way Jesus sought for, for himself. So Mark chapter one, this is where we're going to start our lesson. And we're going to look at mainly in the first part of this lesson, just looking at Jesus' commitment to prayer, and trying to pull lessons, just general lessons, as we look at Jesus' commitment to prayer, the kind of value that he placed on prayer. And as I have on the board here, what we see with Jesus' commitment is it shows us something. Jesus shows us the value of prayer and what he really believed about himself in relation to God through his prayer life. Because I think the problem with my prayer life and what may be your prayer life is the reason why I don't pray like Jesus, I don't have the same sense of urgency and need to pray, is it's a problem of what I believe about God and what I believe about myself in relation to God and that because of what Jesus believed about God, It drove him to see a need to pray, even at great expense and sacrifice. So Mark chapter 1, we're going to look at verses uh, 29 through um, 38, but we're going to focus on verse 35 here specifically. So Mark 1, uh, 29. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon, and this is Simon Peter, Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her and she waited on them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. He was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. In verse 35, again, where we're going to focus our attention, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companion searched for him and they found him, or they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. So Mark 1.35, just something really simple. Jesus was never too busy to make time to pray. You know, I think a lot of what my problem is in relation to prayer and and the value that I see in prayer and even just my need to communicate with God and and pray to God is there's some kind of disconnect where I'm oftentimes a victim of my schedule. You know, when I get really busy, I, I forget to pray. If there's a lot of things going on, I don't think to prioritize prayer or sacrifice time to pray If you kind of look carefully at the circumstance in verse 32 notice when people started bringing all of these people to jesus you know and i don't imagine that jesus was just wanting to kind of get rid of people really quick right that he was wanting to invest in people not just heal them and send them on their way so it's already evening the sun had already set so it's not like it's you know getting close to the evening time in terms of it getting dark it's already dark outside And they're bringing to him multitudes of people. In verse 34, he's healing them. So I don't imagine this was an early night. And I don't know in verse uh, 35 if like Jesus had some kind of alarm system, but he gets up while it's early morning and still dark. So when it was dark the previous evening, they begin bringing to him multitudes of people and he's spending time healing them and exhausting himself. I'm imagining that he was very tired. And yet prayer was so important to Jesus. And, and by the way, I'm imagining as well that Jesus was praying in his mind all the time, you know, that he was in constant communion with God and maintaining that connection, you know, praying in his mind and maybe even praying out loud as he was serving people and praying with people. And yet at the same time, while it was still dark, which implies to me that Jesus saw prayer here as more important than the extra sleep that he would have gotten if he would have just continued on through the morning. Not only that, is he didn't just go into a corner of the house where he was and whisper a quiet prayer while other people were sleeping. Notice it says Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Jesus was very deliberate to make sure he got alone time to pray. So here's a question. Do you see the value of praying out loud and alone? Is that a part of the discipline of your relationship with God? That there's something, again, Jesus would have been praying in his mind. He would have been praying with others, but there there was something irreplaceable about speaking out loud in a place where he would not be interrupted, in a place where he could talk loudly and openly with God, there was some value that I struggled to see in the fact that Jesus was not only willing to lose sleep, but would actually travel. Luke chapter 5 makes an insertion on something that seems very similar, that it says Jesus would often slip away to pray, which seems to imply... And the fact that it says it was often that this, this was a habit of his life. this was something very normal for Jesus to do. So what else do we learn from this? And here's kind of the subpoints here. So not only was Jesus never too busy to make time to pray, he would sacrifice time and sleep. but I think from this, he treated God as the real source of all power and the source of all glory. You know that we see in Jesus' prayer life that he didn't view himself as someone independently strong. That he had everything figured out, that his miraculous powers or like some kind of magic that he was given with God to use as he sees fit, but that ultimately God was the one giving everything. It was ultimately God who was at work in people's lives and in his own life, and that ultimately God was the one who is the source and center of all glory. One of the most common New Testament prayers or common commands to pray is thankfulness. Do you think Jesus cared about giving thankfulness to God, giving praise to God? I think we're not commanded to do anything that Jesus did not himself also do. And so I imagine that when we really discipline ourselves to make time to give God thanks for his work and the things that he grants, we're really becoming like Jesus in that way. So I think for Jesus to be able to embrace the fact that God is the source of all power and glory, that includes what we see in the Psalms, that the psalmists devoted themselves to giving God praise, honor, and glory consistently and with discipline. I think it shows us that Jesus embraced the reality of his humanity, that although Jesus was very busy, although he could do miraculous things, at the same time, Jesus only had so much time. There were only so many people he could interact with. And although he knew people's hearts, He could teach things, he could say things, he could do things with people, but ultimately there was a limit and that people would go away and that God would need to do a work in those people and and use things Jesus did. And so, again, it may be weird to think Jesus limited, but as a man there's a sense where he was very aware that this is God's work and God's work goes far beyond his own limitations. Something that encourages me here is I feel like in this community evangelistically it's extremely crippling how little time I have, how, how little wisdom I have. There's so many people who are lost in Savannah and my schedule very qu- quickly fills up with things where I just, I feel like I just don't have more time to give, to just constantly having new studies with new people all the time and, and that is very overwhelming. What comforts me is God's not limited, right? That if I pray for God to do his own work outside of, anything anyone is doing in this small group, that although there's hundreds of thousands of people in the greater Savannah area, ultimately God is able to do what none of us are able to do. And I have that same confidence with us spiritually as a local church. And I think Jesus was very aware also of his weaknesses. This is something that the book of Hebrews would reflect on, is Jesus didn't live as someone presuming strength of himself, but rather what he embraced is the weaknesses of his humanity. This is another theme we see in the Psalms and something that I think it makes sense to imply. Jesus would have adapted that same mentality for himself. That Jesus would see his need for God's help. That he would see his need for encouragement from God, for God to act in his own life, to encourage him, to refresh him. And so I think what Jesus would find in prayer is refreshment and fortification. You know, Jesus, when he sacrificed time, he could have been asleep. What that tells me is there was something more refreshing about prayer than sleep. And I don't know about you, but in terms of like waking up extra early, I'm not going to wake up like really, really, really early unless there's something really, really important that's happening, right? Otherwise, usually my alarm is going to beep multiple times and I'm going to think, well, surely I can just get more sleep. I need sleep. I'm going to stay asleep until I have to get up, right? But for Jesus, there was something more needed, and more refreshing about prayer than there was even in sleep. We'll see that in continued points. But I think as Jesus would interact with people. You know, interacting with people is challenging. Serving and pouring yourself out is challenging, and I think it can be difficult to consider the impact on Jesus of just the degree of service he was giving to others. The world cannot heal wounds that it itself is causing. And so, where do we go to find encouragement and fortification to deal with the world? For Jesus, I think that's prayer. What equipped Jesus to have the kind of endurance and wisdom that he had in his ministry? I think we trace that back to prayer. Luke 16, or Luke 6, rather, 12 through 16. This kind of similarly, what we see is more seeing the kind of sacrifice Jesus made to prayer in Luke 6, 12 through 16. So kind of the the main point of this is what we see in Jesus' life is he was consistently praying through important moments and critical decisions. Uh, In Luke, actually, you see that Jesus was praying when he was baptized. He was praying when he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? He was praying when he was transfigured before the disciples. Luke's gospel is the only one that uh, talks about that. Jesus was praying when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross, just again and again we see that Jesus prayed through difficult moments and critical moments in his ministry. So let's see that in Luke chapter 6, 12 through 16. It was at that time that he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. When when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also named uh, as apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter and Andrew his brother and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, And Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Um, Let's actually read through verse 19. I don't have that on the board, but just to include where this goes. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of his disciples, the great throng of people, and all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled and and with unclean spirits were being cured, and all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. So again, what are some just kind of brief points we can get, some thinking points and applications with um, the sacrifice he made here? So kind of as, as an extension of Mark 1, but I think much more than what we saw in Mark 1, in verse 12, Jesus spent the whole night in prayer to God. And I don't think what he was doing was getting into some kind of like overwhelming frenzy or that he was just getting into vain repetition, but that the entire night spent in prayer was spent effectively and that he spent the entire night in prayer because it was necessary and that's what needed to be done and he was very aware that that needed to be done. And this is something we see through his ministry consistently. In Mark chapter 6, after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus sends the disciples away on the boat. This is when, you know, he walks on water. He sends them away to be alone, again goes on a mountain to pray, praying alone, and then after prayer he comes down, walks on the water, and joins his disciples. And again in that moment, he's not sleeping, he's praying. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, when you would think, okay, Jesus, you need to be well-rested. You're about to go through some pretty traumatic things. You need to recuperate your energy. What was more important than sleep in the Garden was prayer. Again and again, not to say we shouldn't sleep, and not to say that Jesus didn't sleep. Jesus did sleep, but he often saw prayer as more important than sleep. And what that tells me, I do not understand prayer that if Jesus saw prayer as more important than sleep and if he could spend all night in prayer to God, there's something about communicating with God that I just, I don't get it. And I think what this shows is he didn't take God's role for granted or God's responsiveness for granted. You know, when we think about God in kind of an intellectual way, a God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, he sees the future, he already knows what's best. If I just think about those facts about God, it motivates me to pray because I think, well, God's more powerful than me, you know, and he's more significant. He knows the future. So, I mean, what could I possibly ask for? You know, and God's going to do what he's going to do anyway. And so why would I pray when God's just going to do what he's going to do? And he already knows what's best. He already knows the future. But did you know that that is never, ever, ever the way God presents himself in any place in the Bible? And that God always always presents himself as a being eager to hear the requests of his people and powerful to respond to things asked for that's what we saw in luke 11 in the introductory verses right in the scripture reading jesus said ask and it will be given seek and you will find god knows how to give things to those who ask jesus did not take for granted that God responds to prayer. I would argue Jesus would not have spent all night in prayer if he did not believe that God was going to be responding to the things that he was asking in relation to his work with the apostles and the things that were going to happen with the apostles later. And I think what we see through Mark and through Luke is after these times of prayer, really before and after, is Jesus is spending all of his time with people. And so I think what that tells us is there's something about prayer that equips us to be able to invest in people and love people. And if there's some kind of disconnect with me serving people, investing in people for God's purpose, and seeking God's will above mine in the way that I love people, it's not a problem with just understanding God's instruction. It may be deeper than that. And it may be a problem actually with my prayer life because a God-oriented prayer life leads to a a life that is oriented towards loving God's people as we are loved by God. So I want to look at, for the rest of the lesson, the nature of Jesus' prayers. And again, just kind of learning from Jesus' example. Um, And obviously God has concern for everything that happens in our lives, every minute or seemingly insignificant thing, And so it's not that we should only limit ourselves to just praying necessarily the exact things Jesus prayed, but just in terms of learning from his example, right? Um, Again, going back to the analogies and illustrations from the introduction of the lesson, if you want to learn how to communicate with someone, like especially if it's a new person, you don't really know them, you're trying to figure out how to connect with them, watch other people who are close to them talk to them. Watch the things that they bond on, things that they laugh about, things they talk about, right? Things that they're interested in. You learn that by just watching the way that they interact with other people who are close with them. Again, nobody's closer to God than Jesus himself. So as we see the things that Jesus was focused on in his prayer life, I think that equips us to have a more meaningfully unified relationship with God. We're going to start in in John 17. And I do want to read the chapter Um, But this is one of those passages where, for the sake of the time of the lesson, really I I would just like to make some very general points after reading it, and we won't get into very much specifically with the prayer. Um, But I think in terms of prayers in Jesus' life, this may be the most important one, and I think that'll be borne out as we read through it. John 17. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, The hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you, for the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth." As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you have loved, you loved me may be in them and I in them. So just a few general things about this prayer is this is people oriented. Notice how closely Jesus refers to God as the father. You know, this almost reads like God is right there listening to Jesus and he's having this very intimate, very close conversation with God. And as he talks to God, he talks about himself in relation to God in verses 1 through 5. He talks about the disciples in relation to God in verses 6 through 19. And then he talks about those who would believe in God through their word in verses 20 through 26. So this is all personal, all intimate, and it's all focused on the Father's purpose for people. So number one, Jesus prays for the perfect realization of God's purpose in teaching with himself and his people verses 1 through 5 again Jesus prays for himself in relation to God's purpose and his teaching verse 6 through 19 as Jesus is talking about the apostles and their work and the lives that are ahead of them after his death he's praying that God's purpose would be fulfilled in them and that everything that he's taught them would bear fruit in them and be realized in them perfectly and then 20 26, as he's talking about uh, those who would believe in the teaching of the apostles from this time forward, he's praying for the perfect realization of the things that we've been given. Notice in verse 23, that they may be perfected in unity. Has that happened? You know, there's, there's a sense where when we are saved that we are perfectly unified with God. Again, in a way. There's a sense where we are perfectly united with one another, in a way. But is there another sense where, as we grow, we are becoming more and more unified, both with God and with each other? Jesus prayed for the perfect. You know, Jesus, I think, would pray for the next step. But as he would pray for the next step, he would pray that God would accomplish what was perfect. This would involve the will of the individual, But I think what Jesus saw is more importantly, it involves the working of God in response to prayer. So I just want to encourage us that we need to be praying prayers that are mindful of God's purpose and God's teaching and the perfect realization of that teaching, not just in general senses, but even specifically with things that God has instructed. He prayed for protection from the devil, number two, not protection from people or circumstance. This really goes back to verses 13 through 16, Notice verse 14 particularly. I've given them your word, the world has hated them. And yet verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. So Jesus sending the disciples into the world, was that going to make their lives easier or harder? It was going to make their lives more difficult. And so Jesus is not praying as much for physical protection as he is endurance in doing God's will despite difficulty. I heard someone recently say something that has been really sticking with me. It was an older brother who uh, mentioned in a a Bible study that I was listening to that when we think we need relief and sleep, what God says we need is endurance. And that the most valuable thing that we can learn in our lives, in our relationship with God, the most valuable thing is endurance in doing God's will. And I think that's what Jesus is saying with the apostles here, and uh, by implication, us as well. That learning to pray more, that we can gain endurance and steadfastness in doing God's will, may be the more important thing than what we may immediately think to pray for. That when things are hard, God, take this away. God, deliver me from this hard thing, or from this hard environment. What if we instead prayed, God, help me to learn your will as I deal with these difficulties. Teach me your way and help me to gain endurance despite the things externally that are making things really hard for me. Right. So Jesus' prayers were more focused on protection from the devil rather than from people or from hard circumstances. Uh, Finally, Mark 14, and this will be um, the last example that we'll look at with the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, At the end of the year, I looked at the Garden of Gethsemane in terms of trying to understand Jesus' suffering and using this as kind of a platform for trying to dig into uh, the suffering that Jesus would be enduring, whereas in this lesson we're thinking more about the prayer itself and some lessons we can learn from the example of how Jesus prayed for and what he was praying for. Mark 14, 32 through 42, and I'll, I'll read this as well. They came to a place named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep, and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. I want to ask this question really quick. Did this prayer change anything? You know, Jesus was praying that the hour might pass him by. The other Gospels refer to it as, you know, that um, the cup would be removed from him, seemingly praying that there's any other way. Please do that if it in any way is possible. you notice in verse 35... It says, if it were possible. Verse 36, he says, all things are possible for you. So Jesus is acknowledging that, you know, in all of God's infinite power and wisdom, if it is possible, God can change the situation somehow. I'm not sure how that would work, but Jesus prayed that prayer. So again, did this change anything? I think it did, but I think that would be maybe hard to measure out. I think it equipped Jesus but I want to suggest something. There was no more difficult prayer. There's never been a more difficult prayer for God to say no. Never a more consequential prayer for God to say no. I get discouraged way too easily when I feel like my prayer's not going to change anything or I prayed for this outcome and it didn't happen. And I let that too easily discourage me whereas it seemed like that emboldened Jesus. And he wasn't at all dissuaded towards God or towards prayer, even though by the end of this, the cross is still the cross. The gravity of what he would to endure, need to endure is unchanged. It's It's all the same. And yet Jesus, I don't think he would view those prayers as having been wasted, right? And so I think we need to see the value of prayer, even if it doesn't seem to change things according to our will, because ultimately, that's what I have on the board. Jesus fought to align his will to the Father's. I think that's the main thing here. Doing God's will is not going to be natural. And I love Jesus' example here that although he was a son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. huge part of prayer is learning to fight to value God's will above whatever it is that we may prefer for ourselves or whatever wish for ourselves. And I think we see in this that Jesus opened up his heart and poured out his heart through prayer. You know, we're not given a big behind-the-scenes look at Mark chapter 1 when he went off by himself. We're not given a behind-the-scenes look either in Luke chapter 6 when he spent all night in prayer to God. But in Hebrews 5, 7... It mentions in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying, with tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety or godly fear. So I think with opening up his heart and pouring it out through prayer, Jesus was treating his vulnerability as something very real. He was seeing his vulnerability to temptation with fear, with urgency, with desperation. And I think too often I am pulled so easily into my environment or pulled so easily into sin and temptation ultimately because I'm not praying the way that I should be. I'm not utilizing prayer. I'm not maintaining a mindset of prayer like Jesus did. You know, I think the way that this prayer would have changed the situation is it certainly would equip him and empower him to not be pulled into the temptations and difficulties that he may have been fearing and anticipating. And with that, Jesus was not afraid to pray for what was most difficult and most necessary. So I want to give a, a few applications here related to that final one. That number one, there's things we probably need to pray for that we're neglecting. Things that we need to be doing that God tells us to be doing, that if we were to pray more about those things, we would have more energy, more willingness, more desire, more perceptiveness, more awareness of opportunities. Sometimes the things we most need to be praying for are the most difficult things to pray for, the most difficult things to be willing even to pray for. So I want to encourage us that sometimes the most necessary things in a relationship with God are the things that are most easy to neglect. And I want to encourage us all, including me, pray the things that are most difficult. Number two, I think we see the value of disciplining, there, disciplining our lives to make time for prayer and to make a place for prayer. You know, something really easy is in Mark chapter 1, Jesus started his day with prayer. And in Luke chapter 6, even though he spends all night, he ended his day with prayer, Right? And I think those are generally very easy times, easier times to make time for prayer. And so I think in Mark chapter 1, I think what we can imply is Jesus had a habit of starting his day with prayer and ensuring he started his day that way. I would really encourage you to see the, the value of being alone with God at the beginning of the day. And one of the first things that you do to start your day is spending time devoted to prayer to God. Not just a prayer in your mind, but prayers spoken out loud in a place where you will not be interrupted so that you can spend that time in prayer to God. And then number three, just in terms of something very practical, is learn to pray for things that God talks about, right? And so when you read your Bible, something that has helped me a lot, something I've been, I have been trying to implement, is I try to pray for things that I've immediately read. Even if that's like reading Genesis or Exodus praising God for things he's done. If I'm reading a New Testament letter and I come across an instruction that I see I really need God's help with, you know, making sure that I'm praying about that and seeking God's help for that. And even like John 17, praying things for the church, that God would help us to be more unified, that he would help us to grow in our love together. These are things that although we can't see visibly the way that God responds to each part of our prayer, I think what Jesus teaches us is we need to take it more seriously that God, in response to things, that we pray that we know that this is what God wants, we know that this is God's purpose, then we can know for certainty God cares about our requests and will respond to those requests. So number one, pray to things that are most difficult. Number two, make time to pray out loud in a place that you reserve to make sure that you discipline your life to make sure you have that time. And number three, pray things that God talks about in his word. Make sure that's a part of your prayers as well, to make sure that it's a part of his purpose. So I hope that this has helped you as it's helped me. Um, Whenever I come across these verses, it always convicts me and helps me see that there's so much more to prayer than what I'm involved with in my own life, and there's so much more that I can understand to help me grow in my prayer life and in my communication with God. Um, So if there's anything that we can do for you this morning, Uh, As a church here, if there's any need that you have, whether that be confessing a sin or a struggle um, or coming forward just to seek help from God's people and anything related to his purpose, please bring it forward while we stand and sing.